those that are new here, let me be the first one to say welcome to Liverpool One Church. If you don't like me, it's okay. Come back next week because Pastor Luke is going to bring a word. Um, but I hail from the great state of California, a.k.a. the promised land. I love it. I'm a little biased. But uh, I am the daughter of a pastor. I'm a daughter of a preacher. I am now married to a pastor. My husband and I get to pastor the Father's House in Orange County, California. And there is something I want to get us very acclimated to. I want us to break out of maybe our proper Brit for a second. And I want us to inherit what I call a holler back culture, okay? So, so when the Spirit of God moves you, it's okay to say amen. It's okay to say, come on, somebody. It's okay to say, preach it, girl. And I say, I will, okay? So you have permission. And, and let me just calm anyone's nerves, like, where did we go today? Um, you came to church, okay? And when the Spirit of God moves in you, it is okay to explain and, and, and verbally process externally what the Spirit of God is doing internally. Can I get an amen? Amen. I love it. Okay, so today we're going to be learning about a Bible character who is prolific and profound and is one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible, and her name is Ruth. And what we see in the life and times of this brilliant character is that God will use every pain, every pit, every problem, and every person to do a work within us. In fact, uh, 15 years ago, I taught my very first Bible study, and it was through this book. There's only four chapters. In fact, I encourage you this week in your homework, hey, read the book of Ruth, four chapters, it's super easy. What we see within this woman's life is that and we'll discover today as we kind of do an overview of the book is, is that her life, she had every reason and excuse for her life to suck. She lost husband and home and hope. And yet we see here that her life didn't have to suck. In fact, I recently wrote a book about it because I'm so passionate about this. And, and, and so today, as we go through her story, I want us to pull out some powerful principles that will apply to our life today. So just allow me to open us up in a quick word of prayer as we jump into this. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just say thank you. We say thank you for what you're going to do. We love you. We give you all honor and glory. May your presence just be made manifest in this home today. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Um, in the States, there's this show that I love. I love to cook. I love to host. I love to entertain. And there's this cooking show on uh, television in the States called Chopped. You have a show similar to that called Ready, Steady, Cook. Uh, how many are familiar with that show by a show of hands? It's coming back out. Yeah, a lot of us. Good. You guys like, you guys are foodies too. Okay. Well, in the show Chopped, very similar to Ready, Steady, Cook, it's, it's a cooking competition. And so there's three different chefs and they're given a mystery basket that's full of ingredients. And you have to take these mystery ingredients and you have to make a wonderful dish in 30 minutes. Well, I remember watching this particular episode and uh, there was three chefs at the beginning of the episode. And when they opened up the mystery baskets, inside was bacon grease in a jar, frozen pre-cooked prawns, and champagne vinegar. And while the other two chefs looked stumped, one went straight to work. She pulled out the bacon grease, she put it in the pan, and she immediately started whisking the bacon fat with flour. And she was making what the French use in cooking called a roux. It's used in many of our stews today. But this roux is equal parts bacon fat or animal fat and equal parts flour. And as you cook it, um, you, you toast it, you brown it to add and thicken a soup 
or in this case, a gumbo, which is like a southern dish in America. Well, um, the color of the roux went from white to tan to caramel color to a peanut butter color to a dark chocolate color and almost to a black color. In fact, there's an aerial pan of the, the chef's dish and the judges were surreptitiously off to the side and they're saying, she has burned the roux, the roux is ruined. And as the, the judges are running their mouth and having a commentary, she just ignores them. She keeps on whisking the roux and she's chopping her onions, her garlic, her celery, her carrots, her andouille sausage, her crawfish. Mm, if you aren't hungry, you will be by the the end of this and what she does is that she doesn't even miss a beat she is making another roux to add to this roux and what the chef knew and what we would later discover in the competition judging round was that her nana her nanny her grand taught her when everyone else tells you that the roux is ruined because it looks too dark it's because they don't know how to cook see it may look ruined it may look burned it may look like there's bits and pieces but what they don't know is that it adds to the layers the depths and complexity of flavors in a dish. That is how you make a proper gumbo. She went on not only to win that round, but she re re won the entire competition. And what she said in the natural, what her grandmother taught her in the natural, that it looks ruined, it looks burned, it looks done. I'm hearing in the supernatural. This girl was like preaching to my soul. I wanted to take off my high heel and throw it at the television, say, preach girl. Yes. Because the world will tell you that you're done. The world will tell you that's a burned and, and done part of your life. Hey, throw it away. Start again. No one wants that in their meal. But what they don't know is that we serve a God who will take even the burned bits and pieces of our life to make something absolutely beautiful. And that's what we discover in the story of Ruth. Ruth's rue is equal parts pain and tragedy, and she's about to serve up some soul food, some food that will nourish our soul today. So if you brought your Bible, open up with me. If not, the scriptures are on the screen. We're going to start off in Ruth chapter 1. Now, we're going to start in verse 3, but here's a little bit of context for you. There is a man named Elimelech, and he is living in Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Hebrew, for the note takers and the word nerds, means house of bread in Hebrew. But it's ironic because in Bethlehem, the house of bread, there's a famine. So this man, Elimelech, takes his two sons and his wife, and he comes over to Moab, which is a quite a bit of ways away, and any good Jew would not be in Moab. He takes his family to Moab so they don't die in the house of bread, but they live here in this city of sin. So let's pick this up in verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Well, isn't that sad? Why did he leave Bethlehem? So he wouldn't die. Thank you, Bible scholar in the second row. Extra credit for you. And what happened, church? He died. And she left, uh, um, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. Uh, the name of one was Orpah and the name of other Ruth. They dwelt there about 10 years. Then Malon and Kilion also died. So the women survived, her two sons and her husband. Say this with me, church, nothing just happens. That's the title of today's message, and you're going to hear me say it about 20 times. See, this story starts with death and depression and three destitute women. Ruth's husband was dead. Ruth's brother-in-law, dead. Ruth's father-in-law, dead. These women, their hopes, their dreams, their aspiration were buried six feet under 
three times over. What happens when life gets us like this? For Naomi, all hope was gone. Her dreams were dashed. And maybe you feel like you resonate with Naomi. Maybe you feel the life that you thought you would have. If you served God, if you listened to your spouse, if you went to that uni, if you didn't marry that spouse. But here in Liverpool, that was funny. That was funny. We can laugh at that. But you know what I love about Liverpool One Church is that this is a church where it is okay to not be okay. That you can come into this house and we can have an honest conversation like Naomi. Who at one point in in scripture, in chapter 2, she says, don't call me Naomi. Her name means sweet and pleasant. She says, call me Mara because I am bitter. Maybe today you find yourself being incredibly bitter. And it's okay because these two women don't have two quid or two pence to run together. They are husbandless, childless, and hopeless. And maybe you find yourself like Naomi. In chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, she said, I went away full. She left Bethlehem. She came to Moab and she was full. Two sons, a husband, money, hope. She's like, I went away full and I'm coming back empty. And maybe you find yourself in a similar situation. I moved to Liverpool with hopes and ambitions of this job, and I lost my job. I entered into this marriage of just hopes and dreams, and now I'm divorced. I entered into this relationship hoping that I was going to get pregnant, and I can't get pregnant. I went away to uni, and I was so excited, and I failed out of my classes. Maybe you can resonate with, I went away full, and I'm coming back empty. Today, I want to remind you and let you know you're not alone. And it's okay. Pain is the keeper of company. See, pain brings people together. That we can be a place where we can be vulnerable and honest in the presence of God and say, I'm not okay. In fact, um, God does more with our struggles than he does with our successes. See, we live in a culture where we love to highlight successes. We love to post it on social media. We love to talk about it and tweet about it in 140 characters. But what God is saying, no, 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 no. I will show you what I can do with the burnt, broken, burned pieces of your life. You're not done. You're not dead. I'm still doing something in your life. And if you are not dead, then my God is not done. So side note, will you pay attention when you pick your friends? I will always say, uh, for me, for me, you do you. But for me, I'm going to want to be friends with someone who's lived some life. I want to be friends with people who know pain. You know, if you're familiar with the, the series Hunger Games or you read the series Hunger Games, there's this one affluent area called the capital, and they were problemless. They had all the money, and all of the other boroughs, all the other cities had, were dealing with pain. I don't want us to pretend that we're living in some bubble where everything is perfect and polished and pretty. No, I want a place where we can do life with people. And you want to know something? We see this played out in the life of Ruth and Naomi. These women did life together. Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah, they did life together. They dealt with loss together. They dealt with pain together. And now they're stuck with this decision. In, in, in chapter one, uh, excuse me, in chapter two, verse one, Naomi basically says, Hoy vey, girls, I gotta go. Because she's got a Yiddish accent. Hoy vey, I gotta go. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. He's taken everything. 
I don't know what to say. God, why are your pots up? To, why have you done this to me, God? So in a hot, desert, dusty road between Moab and Bethlehem, she tells the girls, just go. I'm too old. I can't have any children for you to marry. She's basically getting rid of them, right? And so what we see here is that Naomi was faced with the reality that time wasn't on her side. And many of us in here, let's just be honest because there's a, a wide spectrum of faces in here. Maybe you are closer to the sunset of your life than to the sunrise of your life. Maybe like fine wine, you are just aging in time. And when you look at the mirror, you realize, I have passion and I have vision, but I don't have energy. I don't have time. I don't have the resources. I'm getting old. That is where Naomi finds herself. But let me remind you, nothing just happens. God has not made a mistake or an accident. God has not fallen asleep on the job, and God has not forgotten about you. God knows where you are. God knows how old you are. God knows how young you are. God knows about your past, and God is writing your future. God knows about your failed marriage. God knows about your broken heart. God knows about your shady business deal. God knows about your empty empty womb. God knows about your dreams. God knows about your nightmares. God knows about who betrayed you and who you betrayed. God knows when you wake up. God knows when you go to bed. God knows who has broken your heart and God knows who has repaired your heart. God knows your budget. God knows your bills. God knows your degrees. God knows when you failed. God knows when you're broke. God knows when you're bougie. And God knows when you gain weight, okay? There is nothing that God doesn't know. Therefore, nothing just happens. Go to verse 14 of chapter 1. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah walks away and goes back to Moab with her friends and family. And I want you to, to take note of something. When someone walks away in your time of crisis, let them walk. I'm going to say that again. When someone walks away from you in times of crisis, let them walk. When people can't handle you, when they can't handle crisis, they are not for you. And that's a word for someone in here. Because when people can walk away from you, they're not meant to do life with you. I'm going to pause on that. It doesn't mean that Orpah was a bad person. And it doesn't mean that people who walk down on you, it doesn't mean that they're bad. They're just not supposed to do life with you in this season. And I'm going to just amen myself because that's a good word, all right? And I am so tired of people lamenting and whining like little itty-bitty cats. Meow, meow, I'm so sad. They hurt me. Let them go. Oh, but I want them to come back. No, they're not for you. And I see good, well-intentioned Christians like trying to super glue someone to them. No, we will do this business deal together. No, you will stay in this relationship with me. No, I will not let you go there. Hey, if they can walk out on you, let them walk. Sayonara. Adios. Beyonce wasn't the first one to say, tell him, boy, bye. No. No, let them walk. Your destiny is never tied to the person who left you. You were you, and you were called before they walked out on you. And please leave because those people are not joined to you. And I want to pause for a second because I learned this principle not just from uh, the, the Bible, but I learned it from my father, who I believe has the spirit of goodbye on his life. He is gifted. He is gifted with the gift of saying goodbye. I was 24 years old. I shared this with the girls uh, yesterday, and I was in this dysfunctional three-year relationship with a man I affectionately referred to as Satan. And we had broken up four times. 
It's fine. I'm over it. And um, I married my husband. All right. And um, I, I remember I came home one night and I was just crying. And my dad was just like, no, 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 no. You do him a favor. You tell him, no, no, I will let you go. Because you don't see the God potential on my life. You don't see what God has called me to. Therefore, you don't deserve me. That's a gift of goodbye. Some of y'all need to clean house. Some of y'all need to know that your uh, relationships are actually holding you back from going back to the house of bread where you belong. Why? Because nothing just happens. If they walked out, it's it's not an accident. Tell them, thank you. Thank you. Uh -uh. Now, Ruth, on the other hand, um, Orpah goes back to Moab. But Ruth says this, this phrase that many of us are familiar with. How many by a show of hands have heard this uh, expression? Sometimes we use it in weddings. But this expression, this phrase, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. If you know that, will you raise your hand? A lot of us, well done, pastors and Bible scholars here. Great. Now, my frustration and my irritation is whenever I would hear this text read or taught, it was always with the guys and under the scope in this very poetic, refined, dignified, Ruth looks at Naomi and, and, and Queen's English and says, where you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. You know, Ruth was from Moab, okay? She got dark skin. She got some big old hoop earrings. You know, she's not from Kensington. She doesn't speak like she's from Surrey. No, she's like a scouse, okay? And in my mind, in my mind, she's like a biblical Cardi B, you know, dark skin, hoop earrings, some attitude. And she's like, uh-uh, mommy, you need to tell me, tell you something. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. And your God, he gonna be my God, okay? Uh-uh. You can leave me, but I'm coming with you. Right? I'm so tired of reading the Bible like it's boring. She was an outsider and an immigrant. She's not from Downton Abbey. Like, so, so now, now let's put this in the Bible context. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, where you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. This is a statement of promise that this decision determined her destiny. See, what she did here on this road was she claimed God as her God. This was her statement of faith. And it, it, what this shows me is that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to be a, a countryman or a statesman. You don't have to be a legal citizen. What I see here is that God orchestrates the steps of man and women, like Proverbs 32 says, because nothing just happens. And my fear is, is that when we have this conversation, some people in this room might be saying, well, Bianca, are you telling me that God allows, that God orchestrates bad things to happen to good people? In fact, uh, that is the number one question that will keep people out of church or stepping into a relationship with God. I'm not afraid of handling that question. It is a great question. We, have, uh, we are passionate about educating the church. And if you want more information on why do good things happen to bad people, that message is on the Father's House YouTube channel as well as iTunes. And there's some great resources out there. I don't have time to unpack such a huge topic. But let me distill it in the shortest amount of possible. We have a good God 
who loves you. And scripture says he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Plans of good and not of evil. There is sin and brokenness in this world that has caused pain and turmoil. And there's consequences for sin and then there's byproducts for sin. But God's heart is breaking when he sees these happen. But I want to pause and I want to highlight the heart of a good God. And I want to declare over us what Joseph said in Genesis 51. He said, what you intended for evil, God will use for good. And I know what Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 8. He says, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And David says, the steps of man or woman are orchestrated by the Lord. And Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you that the years that the locust has eaten. Let me remind you that nothing just happens. Your pain can have a purpose. We see this played out so beautifully. Um, Ruth, uh, they're back in Bethlehem, and she tells Naomi, like, I got to go get a job, okay, because, you know, we're going to die. We're so hungry. And so Ruth tells her, go ahead, my darling, go into a field. And we pick up her story in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was a family of Elimelech. Now, who was Elimelech? The guy who died. Well done. Extra credit for you. So this expression, nothing just happened. Do you know, um, do you know that that's an English expression? How many of you are familiar with that idiom, nothing just happens? By a raise of it. Oh, no one? Let me ask that question again. How many are familiar with the expression, nothing just happens? Will you raise your hand? Good. It's an, it's an English expression that's an American idiom. Do you know that that phrase, that common phrase, is actually rooted in a biblical principle and this biblical understanding of providence? What is providence? Providence is God's hand over every aspect of created order. From beginning to end, from morning to night, from heaven to earth, from animate to inanimate, from individuals to nations, from hours to ages, from weeds to wheat, from birth to death, from catastrophe to calm everything, God is over it all. According to Baker's Dictionary of Biblical Theology, it says this, in God's wisdom, power, righteousness, and love, he is hasteningly slowly to work out his eternal purposes for his own glory and our eternal good. Let me say that again. His glory, our good. His glory and our good. Your pain can have a purpose. And we see this in the life of Ruth, who coincidentally ends up in the field of a rich, single, distant relative. All the single ladies say, hey. And all the single men should have been paying attention to that can find yourself a day after church. You're welcome. But I love in Scripture, in Scripture we see this phrase, it just so happened, um, is actually a, a, it adds to the drama of the story. This phrase, it just so happens, the equivalent of saying, lo and behold, what great fortune, what good chance. Karma was totally on her side. Karma in California, everyone is about it. Let me tell you something. This phrase, um, it just so happened, is literally found nowhere else in the Old Testament. This phrase is only used here because it was an ancient, ironic writing device. What the author was saying is basically, it just so happened, wink, wink. All right? 
So what the author is saying here is it just so happened that the widows found themselves in Moab after losing their husband. And it just so happened that they went back to Bethlehem and it just so happened they didn't have a job. Just so happened they didn't have money. Just so happened that Ruth ends up in a field and that field just so happens, wink, wink, to end up to be Boaz, a rich, distant relative. Friends, this isn't happenstance, coincidence, or chance. This is providence. And sometimes we will see God's hand move visibly. The Red Sea will part, manna will fall, a burning bush will talk. But more times than not, we will see the invisible hand of God that moves in our life every single day. And so, hey, if you just so coincidentally maybe by chance found yourself in here today I want to tell you God has made a way if you feel like you've lost your way you serve the way maker who has brought you here today look at verse 3 and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz now this is a, a new character that rolls onto the scene and uh, Boaz I, I love Boaz if you're taking note Boaz's name means strength Valor and integrity. Single ladies, that's the type of man you want to marry, okay? And if you're sitting here like, oh, what kind of name is Boaz? Boaz is better than broke as, all right? You don't want him. You don't want him. You want yourself a Boaz, okay? In the words of the 1990s hip-hop band Salt and Pepper, what a man, what a man, what a mighty, mighty good man. Yes, he is. Let me take a minute or two to give much respect to Boaz, okay? Yes, yes. Ruth ended up working in the field of a man who just so happened to be rich and single and a relative. And in that time, that was a good thing, not like now, okay? Nothing just happens, and God has orchestrated Ruth's steps. And as God was with Ruth, in the field, God was with Daniel in the lion's den. And God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. And God was with Deborah and Barak on the battlefield. And God was with Queen Esther. And God is with us in the midst of our pain and trial. Why? Because nothing just happens. Will you turn to the person next to you and tell them God's got a plan for you? That was absolute rubbish. Turn to your other neighbor and tell them God has a plan for you. There you go, church. Whatever God has predetermined will come to pass. That there is no man on earth, there's no demon in hell that could stop God from doing what he's going to do in your life. And if God, man did not make you, man cannot break you. And so what I want to do right now, I want to, I want to have this sink in. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to respond with brazen braggadocio. I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to respond back with nothing. And I want to repeat this, and we're going to do this a couple times so that it sinks into your heart. Are you ready? Think about your greatest moral failure and shout back nothing. Think about your most damnable sin and shout back nothing. Think about your most horrific abuse and shout back nothing. Think about your lowest economic state and shout back nothing. Think about your most painful death or loss and shout back nothing. Think about the worst thing you have ever done and shout back nothing. Think about the person who has betrayed you or you betrayed and shout back nothing. Think about the person who has walked out on you and shout back nothing. Nothing in your life just happens. God will redeem the broken, burned, charred pieces of your life and use them for good. And this isn't something that just sounds good. 
or you can like a meme on Instagram. I'm talking about real life hard knock stories. My husband and I, we are passionate about what God is doing in prisons across the United States. And uh, a year and a half ago, I had a chance to host a conference for women in a prison in Texas. And there in a prison in Texas, I met a woman by the name of Bridget. Now, Bridget, she was a rough and tumble type of person. She, um, she was a little crazy. She was, a, she was a scouse. And she loved to fight with people. She loved to brawl. Not only did she fight with her other inmates, she actually got into a fight with the correctional officer there in prison. And it landed her in solitary confinement for four weeks. That's unheard of. So when after the conference, when she rose her hand and said that she wanted to follow Jesus, there was girls around that mocked her and laughed. And when I asked them why, they're like, Bridget's never going to change. Bridget asked me to pray with her, and she wanted to make a decision to follow the Lord. And during our time there, Bridget had explained that she was going to be transferred. The following week, she was sentenced for 10 years. She had already served four years, and she was being transferred to a maximum security prison. What this woman did was pretty brutal. And she prayed and she said, I'm going there and I want my decision that I made today to be something that really sticks in my life. And so we prayed and I never thought I would see Bridget again. Bridget was transferred to the maximum security prison. And there she was called into the warden's office just six months later. The warden had said, we have seen such a positive change in your life. We're going to let you know that you will serve six more months here but you have served the full of your term and we are knocking off five years of your sentence. But see, in the economy of God, that's lovely and good, but in the economy of God, we only level up. See, she was removed from prison and she, was, she went back to her hometown and she said, I have to make this decision. God has given me a new lease on life and I wanna honor my word. She was released on a Thursday and that Sunday, she found herself in a church much like this, on a Sunday much like this, and she sat in the very last row. She was afraid that if everyone knew or anyone knew about what she had done or where she had served, that she would be ostracized. People were praising God and worshiping God, and she was nervous. She turns to her left, and who does she see? The correctional officer that she beat up in prison, who stands up and embraces her and says, Bridget, I am not going to view you as an inmate. You're my sister in Christ. On the screen is a picture of Bridget who is still walking with the Lord because God is good. So let the haters, let the dissenters, and let the demons in hell, let them hear you say nothing, church. Because, oh, that was so bad. Let your haters, let your dissenters, let people that want to hold your history over your head and the people that abandon you in moments of weakness, will you shout back nothing? Because nothing in your life will be discounted by God. There's no relationship that has put you out. There's no sin in your life that has separated you. There's no pain that God cannot heal. There's no mountain that God cannot move. You are not too old. You are not too young. You are not too rich. You are not too poor. You are not too tall. You are not too short. You are not too dark. You are not too light. You are not too far gone and you are not too close because God took a pagan, barren, Moabite immigrant and allowed her 
to enter into the community of God's people. And in Ruth chapter 3, she has an honest conversation with Boaz. She says, Boaz, don't be a bozo. Make me, make me your boo. Like, marry me. And, and in chapter 4, we see that Ruth's marriage proposal was taken up, and Boaz marries Ruth, and they have a baby that they name Obed. Jump down with me to Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, if you don't know what that is, ask Pastor Luke after service. The Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. A barren, widowed, outcast, pagan worshiper became a Moabite mommy and a wanted wifey. This is the stuff that Disney movies are made out of. And here's the best part. The story did not stop there. At the end of the book, uh, there's a genealogy. A genealogy is basically a Hebrew phone book of your daddy's, 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 daddy's lineage. And we see that the story just didn't end with Ruth and Boaz and Obed. In fact, let me read the last verses over us. In verse 18, it says this. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Obed was King David's grandfather, but it doesn't stop there. The next time that we see Ruth and her family lineage is in the book of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 1, we discover that Ruth and Boaz had Obed, and Obed had Jesse, and Jesse had King David, and King David had King Jesus. God will use the outcast. God will use the burn pieces. God will use those who have walked out on you to tell a better story. I know this because 15 years ago, when I taught my very first Bible study, never in a million years would I believe that God can take a girl from inner city Los Angeles who is illiterate. I couldn't read, write, or spell at the age of 12. I was morbidly obese and weighed more than my father. I would have been written off by every statistician, but my God will take the burned outcast broken pieces of our life to make something beautiful he welcomes the outsider he welcomes the hurt he welcomes the burdened and he says let me do something with your life you feel like a nobody God is ready to make you into a somebody and here in this house my hope is that we can read about biblical characters and see ourselves in the midst of their story 